0: Hi, I'm Bec Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Well, welcome, Sonia, to the Military Wife Life Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You and your husband have been together for 28 years. Can you tell us how you met and how Sonia and Jim became a couple and ended up together 28 years? We first met when I was a teenager. Jim was
1: best friends with my cousin and I lived on the river in South Australia, a little country town called Morgan. And my cousin used to come up with all of his Air Force mates to water skate. So I met that way and we kind of went out for a little while. He was, if you like, the first love. So he's in the Air Force at the time. He got posted to Canberra and I guess... When you consider, you know, back then in the late 80s, they didn't have the internet. We didn't have mobile phones. We used to have to write letters and use the phone box to to communicate with each other. And we tried that for a while, but the harsh reality is I was about 16, 17. I didn't want to put out, if you like. And he was 19 and desperate for sex, uh, as they are. To to Um, be be honest. (laughs) be honest. So he moved on and found somebody else. And we went our separate ways for a while. He um, got a girl pregnant and married her and had a couple of kids with her. And fast forward eight years from there, and he'd separated from his first wife and had to come to Adelaide to help her with, with their kids. And he looked me up. And so, because I went out and bought a new frock and did the makeup and the hair and determined to show him what he missed out on. (laughs) And, um, Apparently that must have worked because we got back together at some point. It was a bit after that. He actually, at the time, he had a lump on his neck that turned out to be cancer. And I got all panicky and thought he was going to die. So I, he was posted to Richmond at the time. So I went to visit him there because you know, have to see him before he dies. Oh gosh. Um, Talk I, about
0: pulling out was, the death card.
1: I was... I was, you know, a bit of a catastrophizer, I think, in my 20s. But yeah, as a result of that trip, we actually reconnected properly, got back together. And yeah, we've pretty much been together since then. So we did that. We got engaged on Friday the 13th of August, 1993. 13 is a bit of a lucky number for us. The time he was still in Sydney, he used to have his chemotherapy treatments and then straight from the hospital, jump on a plane, come to Adelaide and do his convalescence here with Maggie and then he'd go back and do it all again and eventually when he finished his treatments he got a compassionate posting to Adelaide and we got married and stayed here for a couple of years after that oh
0: wow so, so when you got yeah. back together when he was just popping over to Adelaide for family reasons uh-huh. you didn't move back with him you just did the long distance uh-huh. thing until he got that compassionate posting yep pretty much. So your whole relationship um, was basically long distance and pretty fast forwarded because you thought he was dying. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was convinced. You like you got to put a ring on it because I've waited 8 years and I'm not waiting any longer. But when you yeah. say that you were long distance, I mean in 1993, what does long distance look like then like it wasn't FaceTime or anything like that. No. What, what did that entail?
1: So again, it was public telephone box, phone calls. Admittedly, I was working. We had his income as well. We must have pulled our money and he was flying here about every three weeks, I reckon. And he'd stay for about four or five days and then he'd go back and he'd have treatment again and so i don't know how we afforded it we mustn't have done anything else but so we did see each other fairly regularly but when we weren't seeing each other it was letters and phone box for me because i was living with my parents at the time so i mean they might have probably let me do the odd phone call at night but really you know who wants to be ringing their boyfriend when they're living in their parents' house? You know, and you're, yeah. you're in your twenties. Because they
0: weren't walk around the house handheld phones then. It was no, to the, it's to the phone console. It's
1: still not. Their phone is still on the wall.
0: Yeah, exactly. Once you guys were engaged, you got married, got a compassionate posting, and then your time as a actual defence spouse began. What mm. kind of introduction was that?
1: In all honesty, in my twenties, I was somewhat self-absorbed and I had my own career. I was very happy in my job and I didn't really want or need anything to do with defence people per se he went to work he was a shift worker when we were first married so we barely saw each other then anyway I recall we used to have about one weekend every five or six together and often he'd be going to night shift when I was getting home from work and so we very much right from the outset of our marriage had quite separate lives if you like and it was just the way it was so I didn't have a lot to do with the military in those early years and I didn't want to lot to do with it I had also a very arrogant opinion I owe more money than you and if I don't want to post somewhere then we just won't go like you'll have to get it out that was sort of the attitude I think I had in those very early years. Which um, gave you probably
0: a little bit of false comfort in the fact that mm-hmm. you thought you had options in regards mm-hmm. to controlling what defence can and can't yeah. do in your life.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And was blissfully unaware, in all honesty, of how challenging it can be to question the military, if you like. Um, but also I'd I was selfish enough too to not really even consider, in those early years, I didn't think about what was good for him, what he needed either. That came a little bit later.
0: So at what point did you sort of realise that you weren't going to be able to lead this civilian life alongside your husband in defence, that you kind of had to, I guess, let a little bit of defence life in and...
1: I think it was about 2001 he was posted. The posting order came out mid-2000. And so we'd been married by then five years and we'd been happily sitting in Adelaide for those five years. And I had my civilian family and friends and hadn't really been overly touched by defence. By then he'd had some cancer treatments as well. So... I had perhaps changed my mind about the world revolving around me and shifted my ideas to probably consider him a bit more into his needs. Again, I thought, you know, he could die in five years, so we really should let him lead the life that he needs to lead and his best life. And I do remember really thinking I need to consider him and think about him and what are his needs. They became more important to me. He was initially posted back to Richmond and he didn't want to go there. He'd always wanted to go to the school at Ambley. The whole time he'd been in the military, he wanted to end up as an instructor up at the school. And we put in an amplification for a first preference posting to the school at some point that year. And then we hadn't had any response from that. So I thought, oh, well, I'll try this new internet thing. And I'll send an email to a company, a recruitment company in New South Wales to sort of see if I can get a job. So I sent an email off and within 20 minutes, I had a bloke on the phone saying, we want to interview you for an IT manager position. And they flew me to Sydney for an interview and offered me a job on the spot. And I was like, yep, sure, I'll take it. But I didn't want to start until after we'd had a holiday that we'd already booked. And it was while we were on that holiday that Jim got his dream posting. To the school at Ambley, they changed their mind. Defence, you know, says, "Oh, by the way, we're not sending you to Richmond now. Just, you know, your wife's got a job. We won't send you there. We'll um send you to Queensland." Now we discussed it, and we discussed him knocking back that posting and sticking with the one to Richmond, and me following my career goals in Sydney, and. I couldn't do it I said no we have to go to your posting we have to follow this is your dream if his cancer came back and he relapsed and he'd never got a chance to fulfill his dream I wouldn't have been able to live with that I would have felt uncomfortable with that so that was the pivotal moment for me where I went all right I'll follow you
0: but it still doesn't make it easy I guess
1: no, at the time, it wasn't. It was really scary too, because I'd already quit my job in South Australia. I didn't know what opportunities there were going to be in Brisbane. As it turned out, I was really lucky to pick up not an IT management role, but I, did, I picked up a role with Origin Energy in Adelaide on a contract, which I actually did for about a month after my husband posted So sort of moved him and the animals and our furniture and stuff. We didn't have children then up to Brisbane. And I stayed in Adelaide for a little bit longer and then joined him.
0: And so I guess was that at the point where you more so stepped into the role of defence spouse because you were fully experiencing defence life, you were following your husband, you'd made that decision, you were posting into an area where you knew no one, didn't have a job, Mm -hmm. like you were like any other defence spouse. And I guess in order to get a bit of support, you have to kind of lean into it.
1: That was my first time, even really a long way away from my mum. I'd previously moved a couple of hours away from my folks but I moved from the country to the city but I'd never lived in a whole other state and I did find it quite isolating at first but then I met there was an Air Force couple next door to us and an army couple across the road from us and I connected with them and I think I hooked up with the DC, with DCO and I went to a craft group at Ambley and I also joined um, Defence Families Lobby Group so I yep sort of joined them a bit and just to make people connect with other people and that was really my first introduction to being a defense spouse. By then I'd got a job with origin in Queensland and I still very much thought of myself as a civilian just married to a bloke in the Air Force. I didn't become a military spouse proper until about 2006. And what prompted Um, that? Completely different environment. My husband got posted, he got picked to go and set up a capability with SSR and so we moved to Perth and that was my first introduction to a unit that is very active but also other military spouses that, you know, it's basically, it's where I found my tribe. It is where I found a a group of women who are still in my heart now, 10 years later. It was where I learned about how to support other women that are going through separation, where I I learned about the effects of loss on an entire regiment you know i got to experience the real military i think i'd been quite isolated from that prior to that posting and i'd have to say that was that posting is the best one for me that we've ever had um, and i guess
0: what kind of difference like did you feel like maybe you might have been missing out on that support previously because you were, Mm. and finding your tribe because you were kind of trying to stay one foot in civilian life and one foot in defence life?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I guess the needs were different prior to that. My husband didn't really ever go away much. It was also quite different in that where we lived, we were 20, 30, 40 k's from the base. You didn't really My husband was a doggy at the time and doggies don't tend to socialise with each other. They're not a particularly, well, back then, they weren't a particularly sort of close, because they do a lot of their work on their own, just them and their dog. They they don't work in a unit per se where they're close and connected and socialising with each other. So there was, I wasn't meeting his workmates, spouses. So I just didn't have those opportunities. But in Perth, it was different the regiment lifestyle there is quite different. It is quite insular in the sense that they you, you live amongst them. We lived in a married quarter village. I got a part-time job at the local Defence Community Centre and got to provide a different level of support for the other girls there, I suppose. I was that one consistent, you know, so people might feel isolated, but they knew if they went to the community centre, they knew me and it is it was just different and I just yeah. embraced it and I I miss that as well now even so and I yeah. guess it's why I'm still connected with these women because I miss the closeness. I miss that bond. It's it it's different. I think everyone that's embraced the defence lifestyle and, and really opened their hearts up to other spouses in this life know that it's a different type of friendship. The bond that you have is, I guess it's just, for me, it just feels a bit more real than the superficial, nice people. But And I loved it. And I Still love it. In
0: saying that, how hard was it to then leave that posting?
1: Like I said, it was my favourite posting ever. It was the hardest one to leave. And it's funny because going into it, it was the hardest one to go to because I knew I was going to be going and living amongst all these army wives. And my experience prior to that was I didn't have an overly positive idea about what an army wife was. And some of that was things my husband said. You know, and some of it was yeah. things that I'd experienced. So, but I was really nervous going into it and I was just lucky that I was there at a time where there were just this amazing group of women who just took me in. So then when I had to leave, it was really hard. But the positive in that though, is that I knew even then when I was leaving and I cried as the truck pulled out of the street to take our stuff. I knew that these were women that I would stay friends with forever and I still am. So we left there in 2009, so 10 years ago, and I'm still the same women I'm still in contact with and a couple of them I've posted to the same location as them and been able to reconnect a little bit while you're posted in the same location. But some of them I've just, when I've visited wherever they're living, you know, you go and stay with them or visit them and so they're still in my heart.
0: At what point did you guys talk about kids and when did they come into the picture and how did they fit into postings? And
1: So for me, I never wanted kids. I didn't particularly like children. Um, <laughs> that was I... me as
0: well for the first 10 years yeah. and then something changed. Yeah.
1: And that's it, that's something changed. Um, I think it, it was for me, it was the doctors told us that we couldn't have them because of the chemotherapy treatments that he'd had, we wouldn't be able to have children, you know, or we certainly wouldn't be able to do it naturally. Um, he could pop some stuff aside, but you know, you wouldn't be able to have them naturally, you'd have to do IVF. And so, soon, pretty much as soon as they said that, I was like, Well, I want them now. Yeah, you're can't have them, I'll have them now, thank you. It, it took a little bit of convincing him because he had two children from his first marriage and he wasn't all that in in the idea of more oh, children and then I, I waited until he'd been in remission for five years and then I said no nah, that's it I want kids now I'm pretty confident you're not going to die so I want children so then by then I was about 32 and I went off to talk to the IVF people and we started IVF and they said oh you know, it'll be fine you know piece of cake you're young you healthy, won't be a problem. So I put in my order, I said, I would like twin girls, blonde hair, blue eyes. Thank you. I shall call one Samantha Jane and the other one will be Elizabeth Mary. That's what I'm having. Thank you very much. And then that didn't work. And so then I said, okay, I'll have, I'll just have one and it, as long as it's a girl and then that didn't work. So I said, all right, I'll have a boy or a girl as long as it's healthy and then that didn't work. And so I'm like eight years in, I reckon, our 13th IVF cycle and it worked. And I got a baby and I had a little boy. We did try again once after that and it didn't work. So one's not really enough, but it'll do. I'm happy with the one that I got. I think I pretty well got a good one. Pretty happy with him.
0: There's no returns Um, anyway, so... (laughs)
1: There is no returns. So So, yeah, that
0: all up, how many years worth of IVF? Eight years. How did Um, you keep going back? Just was it just the faith that you really wanted a child, or like how did you keep yourself going? Dumb
1: stubbornness.
0: (laughs) Just you know, it's not gonna beat me.
1: So we did IVF in Queensland. We had our first sort of sessions with people in Adelaide, but then we started cycles in Queensland and then in Perth and I got pregnant in Perth. One of them, I think it was a lady up in Queensland said to me that pretty much the people that IVF doesn't work for, are the ones that stop, that make a conscious choice to stop. They say, no, I've had enough, and they stop. And some people do that after one or two cracks. Some people take a lot longer. I figured, well, if I just keep going, it's bound to happen eventually. I remember thinking that some of the cycles were much worse than others. Um, Some of them I coped with better than others. When it did eventually happen, it took... I really think I didn't believe I was pregnant until like once he really started moving. And even then I didn't plan the nursery. I didn't do any of that because I just, this isn't going to work. You know, this isn't going to happen. I'm not that lucky. By then you're so convinced that it's never going to happen in a way
0: that it's hard to be positive and excited about it. And all the while your husband was back and forth away and like he wasn't there the whole time. So I guess fast forward to you've had the baby. How long after did you post to another location? Like what was the situation with that? I
1: had my son in late October. In the January, February, Jim went to the Middle East for six months and then he got back and he was only back about five six months we moved to Adelaide and we got Adelaide because my parents were here and I wanted to come to Adelaide and they said to him because he had a posting to SSR he could get his first preference so wherever he wanted to go pretty much so we got Adelaide and that ended up what was supposed to only be a three-year posting we ended up six years in Adelaide so my folks got to have six
0: years with their grandchild which was great it was really yeah. good. Where did you go after that?
1: Uh, We went up to Brisbane. So we've been up in Brisbane for four years. He's a flight sergeant now and in his mustering, there's not that many roles. So you you kind of know now where he's likely to go. It's a bit sort of easier to navigate.
0: Once (laughs) you've been posted to Brisbane, you were there for a few years and now you've ended up back in Adelaide, but your Mm. son and your husband are back in Brisbane. So can you tell us how that came about?
1: We moved back to Brisbane. I spent nine months trying to get work up there and really, really struggled, really. It's soul-destroying when you're desperately trying to find work. And it sucked because I had to quit a job to go to Brisbane and, you know, there's all of those. The resentment starts to creep in. I'm getting older. I want to do something with my life. I don't want to sit around at home. I love craft, but I don't want to do it all day, every day, you know. So I found that period of unemployment probably the hardest hardest I'd ever felt my son didn't need me as much anymore and and I just really wanted a job and it was really hard to get a job and when I finally did I got an entry-level position with bank of queensland i work in it and they didn't want to employ me they'd said oh you know you're overqualified you'll get bored i'm like hey i'm good with bored. i do bored really well that's not your problem your problem isn't whether or not i'm gonna like the job or whether i'm gonna cope with the job your job is to decide can i do the job and can i fit into your team and so they gave me the job and i'm turned into a job that i could love and i made something of it was quite happy there but knew all of long that at some point he's going to get posted out and he's not been overly happy he's got some complex medical issues and he's just he's struggling struggles a bit with those and we knew that it was coming to the point where he's going to
0: need to do that last final posting before a discharge Have you heard about our Lots of Love Care Packages? An anonymous and free box of self-care goodies that can totally make a military spouse's day. It's a way for friends and family to send an acknowledgement in the mail to a military spouse to let them know they're awesome and the Military Wife Life community has their back. Pop over to the Military Wife Life website after you finish listening to this episode, of course, and sign someone up for the Lots of Love box.
1: And we started talking about where should that be? And we started that conversation in about November, December last year, knowing that he would have to talk to his manor sometime early this year. You know, where should we go? We looked at Canberra, like, let's go back to Canberra because I loved it there. And and there's, I had said to him, wherever we post next, that is it. I don't want William, our son, to have to change high school. So we're fortunate that he's getting ready to retire so William can go to one school school for high school so maybe if we do Canberra that means he'll have perhaps potentially more job opportunities but then my husband reminded me and I started thinking about my parents my husband reminded me that um, when I first posted with him for the first time I said to him fine I'll follow you to Brisbane but in January 2020 if mum and dad are still alive I don't care where you're posted I'm moving back to Adelaide that's just what's happening and I started thinking about that and thinking yeah well mum and dad are getting on they'll be 80 next year and they might need some help and I'm going to want to give that it's going to be better if we move William sort of sooner rather than let's go to Canberra for three years and then move to Adelaide in three years my son's probably not going to like me much anyway because he's going to be 13 14 yeah why give him extra ammunition by making him change schools again so let's move him at the end of the year so that was the decision was made we're going to move to Adelaide we're going to push for a posting either January 2020 or January 2021 we're going to post to Adelaide so that was fine and then I'd been looking at job alerts for roles IT roles in Adelaide not really paying that much attention just sort of looking thinking feeling confident that there was at least jobs I could apply for not really convinced I'd get anything because I'm 50 now no one wants you when you're 50 and it's IT and people think you can only do IT if you're 30 or 20 and you know, I'm never going to get a job. I'm ever so positive about my skills and what I offer and this one particular job come up, I couldn't even tell you what was so special about it. It wasn't really anything different to any of the others I'd looked at but it came up on a day that I'd bit frustrated and annoyed with my boss and I thought I'll show him. I'll start applying for jobs. If I start now, now mind you, we didn't have a posting yet, but if I start now, I might get something by the end of the year. I'll just take six to nine months to get a job, Fired off a bit of an application, didn't put a massive amount of effort into it. I wasn't completely committed to it. And then I got a phone call, we want to interview you. And I was like, oh, okay. And one thing led to another. I got the job offer and sat down and looked at the offer. And I'd had a phone interview and I'd had a Skype interview. I'd done a technical test. I failed the technical test. And I hung up from that and said to my husband, well, uh, don't worry about it. I'm not going to get the job. I haven't got the technical skills now well it turned out that the hiring manager who I'd felt a really good connection with I'd felt really at ease with he was more interested in the other things I had to offer than the technical stuff I can learn the technical stuff but he liked my resilience he liked you know all of those things that defence spouses just by the very nature of the types of lifestyles we've led it brings about resilience problem solving time management like all of those sorts of skills that's what he wanted and needed he liked the fact that my CV was quite patchy and that I'd done a lot of different types of roles because it fits with the complex nature of the role that he was offering and so he actually changed the role to fit me because you know I didn't have the technical skills for a senior type role so he said well look we're just going to offer you this one with the view to moving you into that senior position down the
0: track. Yeah so what are you going to do say no not? Exactly
1: and then he says I will give you like nearly 20,000 more than what I was earning in Brisbane. And I'm like, no, you're going to offer me more money than I'm getting in Brisbane. It's a career opportunity. So the job I took in Brisbane was entry level. It was, I'll just do it because I need a job. I want a job. I'll just take it. This was the first job in a really long time that they wanted me for me. It was the first time I felt like somebody was going, she's got a lot to offer. We want her. We're going to change and adjust to what she can bring us.
0: As opposed to That's you. That's it. Do that, yeah.
1: Yeah. So for me that was just a massive boost to I guess my confidence to get that and to and for an organization you know, I'd researched this organization and they have a really solid history and they have a really solid future in South Australia there's so much opportunity you know even before I started I was I knew that there was going to be so many opportunities there and I've still got 15 to 18 years probably of work left in me here's an opportunity for me to actually get my teeth stuck in something Jim's not going to be going anywhere he'll retire
0: here in Adelaide so hey I have to take her how does it actually work when you get a job and you're the one leaving before the defense member has their posting and what has to happen when that Mm. sort of thing happens
1: well so initially when I first got the job Jim took a little bit come around but eventually he jumped right on board and he was like no this is the right thing this is what we have to do he was trying to get a conversation with his manner he hadn't at this point spoken with his manner about what we we were going to do but what we decided that was that we would leave our son up in Queensland for the rest of the school year with his dad and my parents live here in Adelaide I'd teed up with them that I could move in with them bless them so I lived separate my husband and my son live up there and then my husband then went and spoke to the manor and said here's what's going to happen um, my wife's got a job in Adelaide and it's a good job and so at the end of the year our son and our furniture and animals will all be moving to a defense house in Adelaide you can post me wherever you like but I need one of the positions that's near an airport so I can just get on a plane and fly home for reunion visits you know I didn't want Townsville or Tindall or whatever he you know he was I mean like I said at his age in his mustering he knew what positions were pretty much coming up and what was going to be available anyway and the manner shifted and juggled and was fantastic and has been very supportive and knowing that they're going to have to move us back to Adelaide on his retirement anyway, so why not do it at yeah. the end of the year? So that's worked really well for us. It's the first time, too, in his 35 years that he's had probably a little bit of say in what they do with him. They are being quite supportive of getting him to here, but we would have been happy for him to do MWDU for a couple of years. But the deal was I was going to be here and yeah. my son will join me here. The only reason he had my son hasn't come before now is just that I'd didn't feel that it was fair life was going to change for him at some point anyway why do it all at once in the middle of the year why not just let him do his school musical let him go on his school camp let him do those sorts of things where
0: he is and then we'll move when we can move all of his toys and his stuff so Um, I mean it sounds like it worked out perfectly but how hard was it mm -hmm. being the one leaving
1: Funnily enough, it was hard to quit my other job. I haven't quit a job because I was going to something else for a really long time. Like I've always had to quit jobs because we were posting. It's not like, oh, I don't like this job anymore. I want another one. I mean, yeah, I was moving to a whole other place, but I was still quitting a job to go to something else. So I found that probably really hard. And especially because all of a sudden that job started to get more attractive. And once I knew that I wasn't gonna be there anymore, it's like, oh but I like this job now. So that was challenging. Then I guess it was tricky or It was uncomfortable, probably, the thought of leaving mostly my son. Like, I knew that I would be fine away from Jim. We've done it before. We've been together long enough to know that it's not going to be a big deal, us living apart from each other. But I was a bit worried about William and how he would cope, and he was a bit sad about it, and he was, you know, stressed and upset and whatever, so that's a bit hard. But it's like, well, one foot at a time. And I had about seven weeks between when I got offered the job and when I was so I had quite a period of time to get everybody's head around it. The biggest challenge, the thing I found the hardest was the judgment from other people. And it was probably the key lesson I've learned in all of this is that women in particular can be quite judgmental. And it was the judgment of the school mums when I'd actually reached out to a group of these women. It was only on Facebook, but it was I'd reached out to say, you know, my husband has a, needs a medical procedure. I'm not going to be there to pick him up. And and can someone take William after school? And then instead of people saying, oh, we could do this or we could help you with that or whatever, it was, well, why aren't you taking William with you? Why, how can you leave him? I'd never leave my son. And like it was all of that judgment of how can you leave your child? And you should just take him and he'll be fine and he'll, you know, and it's like, I don't need to take him. His dad's perfectly capable. He just needs one night. And the same token as when- if,
0: if it was your husband that had posted away for his job and you were having the medical procedure and asking for someone to pick up your son it wouldn't have been the that, same judgment.
1: That's it wouldn't make any difference and that was the thing I mean I was asked even when the hiring manager my now boss was uh, was interviewing me he said to me how's he, he thought initially that the whole family would just come with me and when I said oh no no they're staying here in Brisbane so I just you know if you're going to offer me the job I'll just need a bit of for a couple of months I might need a little bit of flexibility in terms of being able to go home for visits here and there I might need to leave early to get a flight sort of thing yeah he said, "Oh, they're not coming how's your husband going to Cope with that. And I went, I don't know, the same way I had to cope when he went away when my son was a baby for six months. Like the same way every other defence spouse has to cope when their husband's like, you know, Navy wives that's husbands are off on ships for months I and mean, Just the same way they have to cope. He'll have to cope. He'll put his big girl's pants on and he'll get on with it. Like it is what it is. It, but that frustration or that judgment that people that don't understand, I suppose, and, and in fairness to them, they don't understand and they're well meaning and all of that. But I took it to heart. And I got quite upset about it. That was what caused some questioning. Like, oh, am I doing the wrong thing? Am I being selfish? Is this selfish of me? And I kept thinking it can't be selfish. I'm thinking about our future, our family's future. I could move with my husband at the end of the year. And then what if I'm unemployed? What if at 50, I can never get another job again because I'm too old? What if this is setting me up for the long term and setting us up for the long term? It can't be selfish. But these people were telling me that I was being selfish and I really struggled with that until I actually went on to one of the Defence Facebook groups and I ventured and I got, and then I started getting private messages from Defence spouses saying, hey, I'm in Brisbane, give, me, give your husband my phone number, tell him to call me, I'll help him out. Women I've never met, but they got it, they understood and they offered support and I was like, Bam, that's it, that's this life. That's that's who I should be listening to. They're the people I should be listening to, the ones that understand, the ones that get at and the people that can be supportive. And instead of saying, Oh, you should have done this or you should have made this choice, instead of saying that, they go, Well, we just accept whatever choice you've made. How can we help facilitate that?
0: And for how long had you been putting your wants and needs aside for your husband's career and now it's your time? and it's okay that's to it. have, have your time
1: that's it but I needed to listen I guess to the people that said you know what you've been doing for him and and sacrificing for him and I guess we as military spouses it's our own form of service to our country you know by supporting our partners in their roles and, and I'm very proud of him and I'm very proud of what he's achieved I don't think he recognizes or even grasps just what he has achieved in his life um, and I'm really proud of him I'm really proud of his service and I'm really proud that I've been able to support him through that but he's coming to the end of his service and now it's my turn and I don't need to feel guilty and it just took me a little while to grab onto that and go you know what no this will be fine and then I just once it happened then once I'd got that and I was cool with that and I teed up one of my dearest oldest friends flew from Adelaide to Queensland to pick me up because my biggest fear was there's no way I could possibly drive my car this sounds really silly I couldn't possibly drive myself and my car and my dog and my staff all the way from Brisbane to Adelaide on my own. I'd never make it. I couldn't do it. you've got to draw the
0: way. line somewhere. I mean, come on, That's you're like it. putting your big girl pants on and leaving your husband and kid behind in order to follow your dream job. You've you got to draw the line somewhere.
1: <laughs> That's it. So I'd rang up a girlfriend and said, hey, can you come and get me? And so she did. She took a couple of days off work and she flew up and we had a Thelma and Louise trip. Well, as Thelma and Louise as you can stopping at patchwork fabric shops along the way
0: wild <laughs> a of old. wild ride
1: and then once that was all organized it was like it was an exciting adventure I'm you know I'm having a road trip with my bestie and then I'll get to Adelaide and and I'll
0: put my feet up how have your husband and your son been going what what have they been doing in the batch pad yeah it's a bachelor pad um <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: God um they eat crap food they don't pick up after themselves but they are thriving my husband surprised me how well he's coped and how he's just Stepped up. I didn't fill him in on anything. I didn't give him any, you know, instructions. It was like, you know, see you later. You'll figure it out because I knew there's no point. He wouldn't have listened to anything I asked of him anyway. But he's just he stepped up. He hasn't complained. He just gets on with it. And William gets to school every day. And you know, I think they bathe. I guess they usually smell relatively clean when I come home on weekends. So I think they're bathing. There's often some washing lying around, so made iron when I get home sort of thing so you know they don't eat quite what I like them to eat but they're eating I doubt that he does things the way I might think they should be done but it doesn't matter they're fine they're happy my son is coping Um, I mean that was one of the things we did talk about that whilst I've said you know they'll be fine you know get on with it just put your big girl's pants on and deal with it but we did discuss and we talked to the teachers at the school that if at any point anybody decided or felt that William wasn't coping and that he would benefit from moving to Adelaide and coming and joining me, then that's what we would do. If we have to shift and adjust and change the plan and adapt what we thought would happen, if we have to do that because that's what's in William's best interest, then that's what we would do. But so far, it's been fine and they're great and they're happy and it's wonderful.
0: So have you got any advice for anyone else, I guess, considering doing what you've done and following their career and leaving their defence member back at home with the kids and even opening themselves up to the option?
1: I guess it really just would be, you know, weigh up all the pros and cons and what if you can make it work for your family, then, hey, go for it, do it. But the other thing too, at the same time, and this is, I guess, my whole attitude towards life, is you can make the right decision or you can make the decision right and it's entirely up to you. It's like if you're going to do it, do it, but, you know, just make it happen and make it work. And if it's bumpy, if it's challenging, if whatever, just make it work. In saying that, Beck, I don't think I would have done this if it was going to be for any longer than... It's only really for us going to be five to six months. Yeah. I need to have an end date sort of thing. And in my mind, at the very latest, it's going to be just before Christmas. They'll all be here. But I have to have an end date. I don't think I would have been able to do this if it was going to be, oh, he's not due to be posted for another 18 months. Yeah, like, for I wouldn't sure. have done it. I think if I've got anything to say to people, it's sort of like, you know what? okay it's hard sometimes but if you can imagine yourself 20 years down the track when you're looking back on all that's happened in your lives and the adventures you've been on I mean we've been places that we would never have gone to I've met people I would never have got to meet. I've got to do jobs that I would never have got to do and in that got to develop skills and whatnot if you embrace it and take it for what it is and and enjoy the ride and the ups and the downs and it is a roller coaster and all of that and there is You know, things change and you've got to be flexible and adaptable and all of that. But if you do all of that, then one day down the track, it's going to be your turn and you're going to get to call the shots. It will happen, you know, but there's no use kicking and screaming and whinging and moaning and
0: enjoy the ride. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've loved hearing about your journey and especially hearing about you going forward and really embracing the opportunity to have your time and follow your career. I wish you luck with your husband following you to Adelaide and being the one that is the one having to come to a new area and settle in and be the one that doesn't really have, I guess, when he eventually discharges, isn't the one that has everything planned out for him. You'll be the one that's settled and has a plan and he'll be the one sort of going forward and and wondering where he fits and what he's going to do and all of the stuff that we deal with.
1: He's going to have to find his way, I guess, in a new world for him. i'm quite sure he'll spend most of it i don't know either on the couch or in the shed with his car but um,
0: yeah it's gonna be good i so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode there are definite ups and downs to military life but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together we are all just doing our best so until next week you got this